All right, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. Here to talk a bit of bloody cricket today. It's rum and jet skis here on Get Around Me. It's a Calypso summer. Get the Andy Roberts highlights on. Let's have it, you know? Wow. What a truly exciting game of cricket this was. Here to talk about it uh, from all angles, you know, with my patented analysis that is mostly based on the personalities and haircuts of the players, but it is analysis nonetheless. So very exciting. Rum and jet skis here on the pod, and I'm all about it, okay? What a fantastic game of cricket this was. And it started off in dramatic fashion, I suppose. I guess we'll just sort of do this chronologically because that's how it makes the most sense to me. I can't, you know, I need to work in some sort of a order. Otherwise, I just get overwhelmed by all the fantastic moments from this game. But the game started off in chaos, dude. Absolute chaos. Blokes going down with COVID like it's fucking 2020 or some shit. Do you know Do you know? <laughs> sorry but like fox cricket and this isn't even having to go at fox cricket specifically but just i guess publications in general and you know this is how the business works and it's all fine you've got to get those sweet sweet clicks Mm, you need all those clicks click 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 but it's like honestly if travis head gets covid i don't need to know about it okay if Travis Head gets chicken pox, I don't really need to know about that either. You know, like, I don't really actually give a fuck what Travis Head's up to, as long as he's okay. You know, if Travis Head falls off a bridge, I want to know about it. But if Travis Head gets a sniffle before a game that he's definitely going to play anyway, especially in the 95 degree, 95% humidity of Brisbane, I mean, you could have three different strains of COVID before lunch and sweat them all out, you know? So we got blokes going down with COVID like it's news and then they get named in the team anyway because it is 2024 and that's how the world works now. So still I saw a lot of boys writing in the comments saying keep this, keep the pandemic bullshit to yourself, you know. So great to see that they've still got some energy and some vigor after all these years. But Cam Green and, and Andrew McDonald went down with COVID, which will happen if you kiss each other goodnight on the lips before bed. But Greeny was able to overcome that. He didn't stand next to the boys during the national anthem. And that, from what I could tell, made his COVID disappear because that was the last we heard of it. So I'm not sure what's going on. I think Cricket Australia still fear the woke media brigade or something. I don't know why they're disclosing this. If you just don't tell anyone, no one will ever know. (laughs) Did I just solve that issue? (laughs) But anyway, dude, let's talk cricket, okay? Let's get off the conspiracy bandwagon. Let's talk some bloody cricket. Wow, the pitch was good. And after the Adelaide test, I was kind of pumped up to be like become like a pitch narc. You know, one of those guys like when ball's going through below the waist day one, blokes are saying, oh, Darcy's not going to like this. Darcy likes it going through above the waist. Contest between bat and ball. Get through the, the hard part early, runs in the afternoon. That's how Darcy likes his cricket, okay? And I was, I was looking forward to becoming that absolute piece of shit. 
But unfortunately, the Gabba was just such a fantastic cricket wicket, dude. Wow, what an absolute pleasure to watch cricket. And you know what? The curators get absolutely trashed when, when the pitch isn't good, and I am responsible for a lot of it. But I tell you what, when the pitch absolutely cranks, I wouldn't mind if like in the big break or something, we just, we get one of the curators on the couch and really celebrate these blokes. You know, they're like politicians, these poor curators. When everything's going good, nobody, nobody wants to hear from them. And then as soon as something goes wrong, you've got some bloke in a bucket hat on a microphone telling you, you don't know how to do this job that you have performed for the last 53 years. So fantastic pitch. And despite my need to aim my toxicity somewhere, the Gabba pitch will not be seeing any of that. So it was a fantastic pitch. Day-night test. Day-night test matches are so sick. I think literally every test should be a day-night test because it makes the third session, like, interesting. Traditionally, like, if Australia is going back out for the third session and we're, like, you know, three for 220 or something, or four for two. It's sort of like, unless there's a declaration coming, which traditionally there wouldn't be on day one if you're still batting, it's kind of like who gives a fuck a little bit. Not heaps, but there's kind of that vibe of like, you know, Marnus is 80 not out and he looks like he's going to be there for about four days. Like if the game's not really going anywhere and then it's just sort of the red ball's just so old and soft, 70 overs in. The pitch is garbage, hypothetically. Whereas now, I love this thing where it's like, you got to time your declaration. You don't want to bat with the lights on. You don't want to bat with the lights on. It, it appears that these blokes cannot see this pink ball at night and no one's really doing anything about it. And I'm honestly fine with it because it makes for some sensational cricket. This idea that it's impossible to bat under lights, it's like, I'm pretty sure I've seen Adam Gilchrist bat in a day-night one-dayer and it didn't look like he was having much trouble seeing the fucking thing. So... I'm honestly completely fine with it. It, it. When it's twilight, they hold up the pink ball to like the sun, you know, caressing the beautiful East Coast sky in Brisbane. And it does look like the same color as the ball, to be honest. So I can see how it would be quite difficult, but it makes for extremely great viewing. So do you know what I mean? I don't really care if Marnus gets hit in the throat as long as I have got my entertainment like the little pig I am. So I absolutely love day-night test cricket, dude. And I would love it if they did one in Sydney. I've never been to one. But yeah, so I was pumped up for this test match. Bam, Windy's a five for 50. And it's round the twist stuff from here. You know, have you ever, ever felt like this? When strange things happen, are you going round the twist? And that's how it felt when the Windies were five for 50. You know, Kirk McKenzie's blasting stuff on <laughs> it. Dude, watching Kirk McKenzie blast cover drives on the up it's awesome to watch within the context of this isn't going to last forever like the first innings he threw his hands at one not even a cover drive on the up sort of just a I don't know what you would call it just a back of a length ball from Pat Cummins just a generational talent probably top five of all time back of length ball day one doing a bit he goes I'll just throw my hands at this he misses Next ball, he just does the exact same thing and nicks off. And I love Kirk McKenzie, but there is like a bit of an inevitability of his innings where he's just like, I don't really give a fuck about the ball, the pitch or the game scenario. I'm just going to throw my Calypso wrists at anything and just hope for the best. And when it comes off, I will say it's an absolute pleasure. 
And I also can enjoy it knowing that there's absolutely zero chance this bloke gets to three figures. So really fun watching Kirk. And they put on a good good partnership after that, the Windies, put on 150 or something. Unfortunately, I did miss a lot of the third session uh, creating sort of a, a an Instagram tile on Canva, promoting my Sydney and Melbourne comedy dates for this year while I'm here. Melbourne, March 27 to April 7, 11 shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Get in quick for the weekends and uh, and come along. I mean, come along to three or four shows if you can. It's a lot of bloody shows. And then I got Sydney, one show only, May 10. So a tale of two cities there. Not enough shows in Sydney and way too many in Melbourne. So pick your poison and I hope to see you there. The ticket link is in my Instagram bio or the show notes of this podcast. So I missed most of the third session, creating a Canva poster promoting these dates only for about maybe, I want to say 17 seconds after I posted on Instagram to receive a direct message from Pat Doherty saying, this is fucking retarded. So his words, not mine, speaks to his character. And it was really quite deflating because, you know, I'd wasted upwards of two hours of my life creating it. So regardless, I missed the partnership. They're bowled out for 311. That's great. That's good stuff from the Windies, that. Good fight back. And from 5 for 50 as well, 311 was best case scenario. Because I'm not saying we want to watch a game of cricket, but I just want if like Marky or Rowan come into the room, when they ask me what's happening, I just want to say, this is a game of cricket. Okay? That's all I want to be able to say. And at 5 for 50, I couldn't look Marky in the eye and say, this is a game of cricket. So that was all good stuff. And I will say just on our... Bowling and fielding performance. Well, I've got nothing to say about the bowling or the fielding. I just want to say that watching Usman Khawaja stand at first slip is doing all sorts of things for me. Sexually, yeah? Wow. Uzi at first slip in the long sleeves with, with his fingers all taped up. I mean, the modern cricketer, a lot of these blokes are taping their fingers in the field to, to the point of cheating. I mean, if you've got... <laughs> Like, at what point are you just wearing gloves with some of this tape? But I'm turning a blind eye to it. I don't mind, okay? I don't mind whatsoever. Seeing Uzi stand there at first slip, 2023 Test Player of the Year, and he took a couple of really sharp chances as well. Wow, what an absolute treat that was. And no doubt, a bit of a treat for Alex Kerry after standing next to Dave Warner and Steve Smith for the better part of four years. I mean... Jesus Christ, you can hear, either hear about Smudge's backlift or Candace's new dress. Fucking spare me. So I'm not necessarily saying that Uzi would be more fun than that. I mean, you're probably going to hear a lot about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, but I'd still say that's more upbeat than hearing about whatever Candace has got up to at a fucking cafe that's, that morning. So beautiful news for the Australian team. The optics on seeing Uzi there in the woolen vest, the long sleeves, his baggies really worn now. Oh, he's take he's taken them as well, you know? It, I didn't hear anyone talk about that. How Uzi's at first slip now. I mean, why would you? Because it does make sense. He used to field at third, but it's just one of those things where whenever there's a change, if something goes wrong, some Pelican's going to talk about it, you know? That first catch he took was actually quite sharp to his right. And, you know, if he drops that, then all of a sudden you notice he's at first slip. But he takes two and you don't even fucking notice he's there. 
I'm crying, and it's a great day, okay? It's a great day. So, day one, not a lot happening. Like I said, the biggest battle at day one was between me and Canva, and Pat Doherty put me down afterwards. So, not a lot on day one. Day two, though, wow. Day two slapped me in the face like I owed it money. My God. We're five for 50 now. We were four for 12 or some shit. And I think this was Friday afternoon as well. So the timing of this Australian collapse could not have been better. I get home from work. Um, I think the Windies were maybe still batting when I got home from work. I turn on the telly. I crack a beer. Can't remember what I was doing Friday night. Honestly, can't remember. But whatever. Crack a beer. Australia's four for 10. And it is fucking exhilarating, dude. Watching Australia almost like, or well, I guess almost lose. They did lose this test match, but watching Australia in tough situations against Pakistan and the West Indies in a home summer, I kind of feel like a CEO who goes to the dominatrix and like gets candle wax dripped on his back and stuff because he's so powerful and, you know, no one ever tells him what to do. And he's like, he's like, you know, fucking whip me, bitch, you know, because like that's like a really. A different scenario for him and it really gets him going because it's not something he sees traditionally that's how i feel when australia's four for 12 against the west indies at home at the gabba that's like that's proper candle wax stuff for me that's you know that's ow Ooh, no but keep going but but stop soon but keep going a little bit you know five for 50 oh that feels good but let's stop there let's stop let's not get carried away that's kind of fucking pleasure and pain type stuff for me and it was really great viewing. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Kerry comes in and bats like a man possessed. That was sick. 60 off 40 rocks or something. He comes and goes and you go, wow, Alex Kerry's just saved us. You look at the scoreboard, we're still 5 for 140. We're still fucked, you know? Or 6 for, I should say. Mitchell Stark comes out and unfortunately he can't bat anymore for whatever reason. Okay? I'm not trashing Starkey. I love Starkey. I love him as a batsman. I love him as a bowler. He's a character. He's got some important runs over the years. For whatever reason, he can no longer bat. And that is not a hot take. That is just, if you've watched it, it's <laughs> it's not great. And the Windies are bumping the shit out of him. I love uh, opposition fast bowlers like bumping Starkey. Just going like, yeah, we're going to cop this back, but who gives a fuck, you know? Like Starkey in the first innings, he got hit in the back and then I think he got hit in the helmet twice and then he got out. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, you know? You just got beat up and then dismissed. That's brutal. So anyway, what happens next? Cummins comes out. Oh yeah, Cummins got 64 not out. That is sick. And there was a great moment where we were like seven for 200 and Cummins is battling away. He's doing that thing where he backs away to leg and hits balls through gully at catchable height, but perfectly through the gap. And it's an absolute pleasure. So Cummins is battling away. We're still a long way behind. And then I'm watching the game, and they bowl a ball, and I go, who is that standing next to the umpire, the non-striker's end? I go, what? who is that? And I go, we're 7 for 200. We're in a lot of trouble here. Who is that at the non-striker's end? And then I go... Holy fucking shit, dude. It's Uzi. Uzi's still out there. He's hanging in. He's keeping things together. He's a natural adhesive. A lot of people don't know that. Usman Khawaja, it's Farsi for adhesive. 
He's the glue that keeps things together. What an innings by Uzi. I wish he carried his bat. That would have been absolutely electric. But I think he got 70-odd or something. And even when he got out, we got to see Kevin Sinclair do a double backflip. So even when Uzi's getting dismissed, he's handing us entertainment. Wow. What a player. So, yeah, we... What does it say here? We... Oh, we declared. That's right. That's right. And this was controversial, apparently. Interesting. I will say, before we get into the declaration, seeing Brian Lara go down at the tea break when... Or the lunch break when Australia had him were on the ropes, and Brian Lara is slapping backs and revving the boys, and you, and he's whispering stuff in their ear, which is probably just fantastic cricketing tips, knowledge that was lost in the nineties, most of which I assume is just bump the fuck out of these cunts. Wow, that was phenomenal seeing Brian Lara get down there. And here's the thing, dude: is it's a myth that I don't like foreign commentators being biased towards their team. It's only Ravi Shastri. I cannot stand Ravi Shastri. And like Sunil Gavaskar and stuff, they obviously also suck. But Ravi Shastri coming to our shores during a non-Indian series, I think like that's government. That's a government inquiry for mine. But Brian Lara, mate, him just riding so hard for the West Indies, getting down there, wow, loved it. Absolutely loved it. If Brian Lara told me to jump off the Sydney Harbour Bridge in one of those beautiful suits that Fox Cricket have teed him up in. Oh my God, I'd be at the bottom of the harbour like you wouldn't believe. But anyway, so this declaration, dude, we declare like 20 or so runs behind the West Indies on 288 or something. I'm trying to get the scores up in front of me, but my phone's not loading that quickly. So we declare with 10 overs to go on day two. And I think you just got to dodge... (laughs) You got to dodge... You've got to judge declarations on when they happened. You know, I love blokes coming back three days later being like, well, 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 that's got to be one of the worst <laughs> declarations I've ever seen. Like Josh Hazelwood's coming in next, right? That's when we declared nine down. Josh Hazelwood, as we've seen, he, he can't bat and that's okay. It's not his job to bat. Minus Labashane. Can't bowl a heavy ball at the top of off. No one holds that against him. Josh Hazelwood can't bat. We're under the lights. As we know, it's very hard to bat under these lights with the pink ball. We're 20 behind. I thought the declaration was toey as hell. And I, and I can't believe in an era where everyone's like, test cricket's dying. Anytime someone makes a sporting or aggressive declaration, they get absolutely harangued for it. It's like, brother, this is a bit of entertainment. I love this. So I thought the declaration was good, and we only got one wicket, but if we take three, everyone's saying Pat Cummins is like some sort of a tactical god or something. So I thought the declaration was toey. The optics on us losing by eight runs, declaring 22 behind, it's not great. But at the same time, there's supposed to be this uh, alleged cyclone coming at some point. It never did, but it was supposed to. And the West Indies... They got 300 in the first innings, but you probably back us to rock and roll them in the second, which we did. So what's the issue, babe, you know? Way too much of this, okay? Way too much of this. Anyway, so then day three, we're bowling. McKenzie's playing his shots again, which you love to see, but there's, you know, a, se- a bit of a sense of inevitability. Like, you know, Lightning's gonna, not going to strike twice with these Windies boys. How many pivotal innings does De Silva have in him? Probably not that many. So we bowl them out for 200. 
Double check that. Nathan Lyons sort of back. He takes three far, which is good. Good to see the GOAT get a few poles. He's had a tough summer, the GOAT, by his own standards. And I just think really, poor, poor Nathan Lyon, there's really not been any turn on offer. He came into this into the summer with no cricket. His calf was blown out. I think he played one or two Shield games. There was no turn on offer. And also, the pitches that aren't turning, we, we never even saw a day five. And a couple of the tests, we barely saw day four. And the day fours we did see, we were batting. So, tough old summer for Gaz, but I thought he bowled really well in this test match. So, good on him. Not that there was any chat of him, him being not up to his best or whatever. You know, he's got a massive, massive credit points built up with me. I mean, he could really take the next two years off and I still wouldn't give a fuck. So great to see the GOAT get a couple of poles there. Overnight on day three, we're two for 60 chasing 215. Cam Green and Steve Smith have the crease and it's a Sunday as well. So this is Toey stuff. This is really Toey stuff. You got the Cam Green, Steve Smith storyline. Can Steve Smith become an opener? Can Cam Green become a fully-fledged member of the team regardless of position? These are questions we needed answered. <laughs> you could argue they're not answered, really. But Smudge looked unbelievable. He played one of those... This one I know Smudge is firing. When he just goes back and across to a half-volley outside off and just puts his hands through it. Just gets like a fucking Calypso power-up in his white wrists. It's unbelievable to see. And he looked unbelievable. He looked completely unfazed the whole time. I don't think he gave a chance. Double-check that. I've just made it up. Wow, he looked phenomenal. And Greeny's at the other end. And Greeny doesn't look very good. But then he looks not so bad. And then he starts to look pretty bloody good. Hey, Pretty bloody good does Cam Green. Hits a couple down the ground. I'm like, ooh, could be eating my words here. I will say one thing about Cammy Green batting number four. He's got to fuck off that Grey Nichols helmet. You cannot be walking out to play test cricket for Australia looking like James Faulkner, okay? You know what I mean? It's just the optics on that are poor. Top four batsmen, they wear Missouris. Or failing that, bring back Albion. Bring back the Mike Hussey Albion, maybe. But you cannot be batting four for Australia in a home summer wearing a Grey Nichols helmet. Okay, we just cannot have that. Grey Nichols helmets are for number eights who bat a bit, bowling all rounders. Okay, when you were batting a six, mate, I had no issue with the Grey Nichols helmet. You were averaging thirty-two, and that's what blokes in Grey Nichols helmets do. Okay, so there's no qualms there. But now, if you're going to become that number four, the big, you know, the big horse, averaging forty-five, you got to get yourself a Missouri lid. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. And Greeny, it was sort of, uh, I want to say storyline continued on this. From about 20 to 42, he did look pretty electric. So willing to eat my words there. He just plods that front foot down the wicket. And if you, if you bowl where his feet are set up to be and he puts his hands through it, it is quite pleasing to the eye. And they were saying on commentary that, you know, Greeny smashes Stark and Cummins in the nets. And, you know, they reckon he's just an absolute fucking weapon at these center wicket high performance things. And. I don't know, I'm watching him have a have a tough time with Kemar Roach Bowl 125 Ks an hour. So I don't know if that's necessarily transferring. But and he did get a fair seed, so sort of to be continued with Greeny, I'd say. Um, and I don't want to be too harsh on Greeny because 
I don't know, it comes out, he's already got the kidney thing and then, you know, they're saying he's got, you know, mental mental hurdles to overcome and stuff. Like, I don't want like four hours of me trashing Cam Green out in the world and then it comes out, he's got like clinical depression or some shit. So don't want to be too harsh on old Greeny. Get some more runs if you can, mate. You know, I don't want to stress you out too much. The thing with Greeny is when I hear Andrew McDonald talk about how freaking talented this bloke is, it just reminds me I've never played Emerging Blues. I never made it into the state system, and it's something that curses me to this day. So I wish Greeny the best. 42. Yeah, look, it is a quad failure for the series. I'm going to have to draw the line there. Four failures, you know. I know what you're thinking. One of those innings, he didn't actually bat. The other innings, he got 42. Yeah, well, you don't get on the bloody honors board for 42, do you, big fella? So I'm going to say story continued with Greeny, but he looked bloody good. So we'll see how that goes. This is the sort of thing, right, with, with Cammy Green. And this actually has nothing to do with Cam Green. But I wrote this down. On the broadcast, right, they said they were doing like a package on Usman Khawaja and how good he was in 2023. So obviously, I'm an inch away from the telly, you know, jacking off, as it were. And they said when he averages like 45 in test matches now, as a top five, a top four, really a top five batsman for Australia, should. And they said when he was dropped from the Australian test team the last time, I know what you're thinking, Bill, you're going to have to be more specific. Uzi's been dropped about 75 times. I mean, I think Uzi drinks out of the wrong person's water bottle and gets dropped, you know. But how's this? Last time he was dropped, he was averaging 40.6 in test cricket. And it's like, has anyone else in the last 10 years of the Australian Test Cricket team been held to the same standards as Usman Khawaja? Can you imagine if Cam Green was averaging 40.6? I mean, Andrew McDonald would have COVID every bloody week. It'd be open mouth, tongue stuff from Ronnie McDonald if Cam Green could average 40.6. Like, fuck me, Uzi has just been done so dirty. I want a national inquiry into whether or not Justin Lang is racist because at what point do you look at the numbers? You look at freaking, I mean, Joe Burns, Marcus Harris, Renshaw, it's a bloody come on down, lads, you know? Average 28 and and have 12 test matches. It's absolutely unbelievable, but look, whatever. We don't want to get too toxic. Probably too late for that, but regardless. So what happens next? So... So from here, the Gabba just turns into an airport, basically. Shamar Joseph doesn't just come on to bowl, he comes on the field. He's got a broken toe. They gave him he kept he keeps talking about this mystery pill. I don't know, I don't know what this pill was, but I would like to potentially get some for this weekend. If you're telling me this guy couldn't get out of bed and then he goes on to take seven for fifty, I mean I've got a 30th on Saturday. I'd like I'd like uh <laughs> If anyone has the West Indies physio's mobile number, wouldn't mind giving him a quick call while he's still in the country, dude. And give me a couple of Shamar Josephs. I want to get fucking numb as shit at a pub in Petersham on the weekend. <laughs> just all the Windies boys out on the circuit in Brisbane just getting wavy as fuck. <laughs> Shamar's brought out a, another sheet of whatever the physio had. Oh boy, hey? Come on, lads. Rum and jet skis. Rum and jet skis. Andy Roberts highlights on behind the DJ. Come on, lads. (laughs) So yeah, dude, Shamar Joseph comes on and it is just unbelievable. It's like, firstly, it's absolute fucking 
wheels. Like five out of the six balls in an over, 145 plus. That is electric, dude. And you'd think maybe with like, I don't know, cricket becoming more high performance based and I don't know, sports science and, you know, all the different machines they had Ivan Drago on in Rocky Four. You'd think, I don't know, they'd be identifying athletes and actions and biomechanics and people would be able to bowl 145 more regularly in international cricket. But it appears that bowling 145 plus is just a God-given skill. You know, I don't know how many uh, high-performance tests Shoab Akhtar would have beat Greeny in. You know, I don't know if uh, Shoab Akhtar, I don't know if his box jump would have been too impressive at the center of excellence. But whatever, dude, because he's just marked out his run-up and he's coming in from behind the side screen. So, <laughs> absolutely get this into you, you know? It's clearly just a God-given skill and there's just nothing better than watching a guy bowl absolute fucking wheels. There's absolutely nothing better than that. So, a real treat. And, yeah, we were two for 60. I'm just wondering what we were when Greeny got out. I guess probably two for 140 or some shit, but... Greeny gets out, and look, it was a decent seat. So fair play, Greeny. It's it's reared off a length, and he was looking good. So good signs ahead for Cam Green there. And then the wickets start to fall a little bit. I'm just remembering now. So I've got to bloody get the scorecard up in front of me. But Travis Head gets a golden duck. And he's played inside a Yorker, which is... Actually quite impressive when you think about it. I mean, how do you play inside the line of a ball that doesn't bounce? Or bounces, you know, on the pop increase. You know what I mean? He's played inside the line of a Yorker. And the thing with Hedy is when he's good, he's good. And when he's bad, you know, he's bad like any other batsman. But like just the optics on on Hedy when he misses out are so bizarre. Face-melting 100 last test match. Like probably one of the best I've ever seen. Into King Pair. One caught down the leg side, another one he plays inside the line of a Yorker somehow. I mean, he bats on leg stump and off stumps out of the ground. It's quite bizarre, but, you know, they're the highs and the lows of Travis Head. Oh, yeah, so then Shamar Joseph just starts going absolutely nuts. Wickets are, are falling rapidly. I mean, Mitch Marsh, here for a good time, not a long time. Alex Carey, probably would have blocked that one, mate, you know. <laughs> Shamar Joseph's... Moving the ball around a little bit at 150. I'll probably have a look at a couple there, Kez. Probably have a look at a couple there, big fella, you know. <laughs> Feet nowhere. Big big drive through mid-off. Thought he was still in the first innings, the big fella. But that's okay. And, yeah. I mean, from here, Starkey was just slogging. Starkey was getting the runs, but in a way that was also kind of guaranteeing we'd continue to lose. I think he got 20 off 10 balls. He got dropped three times. Paddy Cummins misses out. And then Nathan Lyon comes out and looks solid and smudges up the other end. And Smudge looks just unbelievable. Like, I think Smudge would still be batting if the game was still going. And you go, holy fucking shit, dude. This is a bit of test cricket here. I'll have a bit of this. And on one hand, I'm thinking rum and jet skis. But then I look at Smudge. He's on 90 and we need 10 to win. He was on 80 when we needed 21 to win or something. And I'm thinking, on one hand, I want rum and jet skis more than anything. But on the other, then I go, oh, Steve Smith, 100 not out, Australia wins. Oh, you know what I mean? I'll go down, fuck the Bacardi off, you know, 
peg the spiced rum onto the road. It'll be a slab of green demons reminding myself that we are the greatest nation that cricket has ever seen. And the West Indies should think about that next time they unearth another generational talent. So, oh, I, honestly, either way it went, I would have been a very happy camper. Anyway, obviously we lose. Fucking airplanes being launched all over the Gabba. Gold chains bouncing around. You can see, by the way, the chain bounces, the quality of the gold. And that's the one thing I love about the West Indies boys. You hear about the abject poverty they come from. You hear about them bowling with pieces of fruit taped up. You know, no internet in the village, this sort of stuff. Still got 24 carrots around the neck, okay? They know what's up, okay? Do you know what's more important than food? Looking fresh as fuck. Obviously, I'm joking around. I'm sure those chains were recent purchases, but still. Beautiful to see the chains bouncing around. Shamar Joseph's crying. I'm crying. Brian Lara's crying. Brendan Julian's looking hot as fuck. Wow. What what a what a what a test match. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Honestly, they say the Windies won. I think cricket won with Windies a close second. Australia no not even in the picture, but yeah. Unbelievable stuff. Really enjoyed not only this test match, but the whole summer. And then, you know, you'd think that's where the podcast really would end. Maybe you'd have some some thoughts wrapping up the summer as a whole, I guess we could look back on. But then, you know, and this speaks to the quality of the test match that I've still got the telly on when the Prezzo's going. You know, usually you see the fucking podium come out and you go, I've had enough of that, you know. No offense to Pat Cummins, but... But it's not must-see telly when he's behind the mic. It's a lot of uh, NRL Round 13 stuff. Credit to the boys, you know. It's a lot of NRL Round 13 stuff from Pat. So you're not usually clamoring to see the presentation as we find out for the first time whatever the fuck random trophy we've supposedly retained. Speaks to the quality of the test match. I go, do you know what? I'll, I'll bloody keep the Prezzo on here. I want to hear from the, from the Calypso Kings. Rum and jet skis. Let's hear it. And... The Prezzo was bizarre because, you know, Pat Cummins was very complimentary to the West Indies. I saw Ian Healy said that he didn't trash his own team enough. What do you want him to say? I mean, he was positive about what a fantastic afternoon everyone had had and how enjoyable it was. I don't think that's anything too bad, really. But So Pat Cummins is really nice. We, found, we find out we've retained the Frank Wall Trophy, which is news to some of the players themselves. And then... Craig Brathwaite comes up and he's fucking fired up, which I love. And it's a great win and he should be fired up. But then he goes, he goes, Rodney Hogg said we were pathetic and hopeless. And that was our motivation for this win. And I go, what? This hasn't been in the news at all. I go, Rodney Hogg. I'm thinking he said Brad Hogg. I'm like, this doesn't sound like something Brad Hogg would say. He's a bloody larrikin, old hoggy. I go, is Rodney Hogg still alive? And then I'm thinking, where did he say this? Was Craig Brathwaite walking past a pub in Perth and he's heard Rodney Hogg in the front bar going nuts? You know, as he walked past a local TAB or a suburban barbecue and Rodney Hogg is into a fucking footlong of Woodstock bourbon and Cokes, just trashing the Windies boys. Like, I'm not sure where he's heard or read that. But then he pulls out his muscles and he stands over Isha and says, do you think these muscles are strong enough for him? And you can see that Isha Gua is uh, freaked out. 
And it's all a bit weird, but at the same time, it wasn't aimed at Isha, so she's a little bit uncomfortable, but she needn't be because this spray is directed at none other than Australian cricket legend Rodney Hogg. So get that up, your hoggy, hey? I had no idea you were speaking publicly about anything. I'm not sure what media role this man has. I'm more fascinated about where he said it than anything else because I have not heard from Rodney Hogg in the 23 years I've been a fan of Australian cricket. So very surprising, but a good move from Craig Brathwaite. I personally, before this whole thing even happened, my plan if I was to ever meet Ishigur was to do a similar thing, you know, introduce myself, say I'm a fan of her work, and then roll up my sleeve and ask her what she thinks of my muscles. I mean, it's a good play. It's an alpha play. And, you know, Isha was rattled, as she should be, by Brathwaite's hulking traps, all right? If we were going to ask Ishigura, or Rodney Hogg, I should say, if these muscles were big enough, I probably would have sent up Alzari Joseph instead of the weedy opening batsman. But still, great times, great classic hits. It was a mugging, no doubt, from Brathwaite. Get that into you, Rodney Hogg, who is apparently a bit of a piece of shit, it turns out. But yeah, so Shamar Joseph, talk of the town. This summer was a bit bizarre. Shamar Joseph said he will always be available to play for the West Indies and uh, he will always prioritise test cricket, which is a beautiful sentiment. And as I record this podcast on Wednesday morning, the 30th of January, <laughs> this morning he's just signed for the, the Peshwar Zalmi, a Pakistan Super League team. Now, obviously, that doesn't coincide with any of his uh, Windy's commitments, I believe. And it's completely unrealistic to think that this man would never sign with a T20 franchise. And I wish him the best. I hope he loads his pockets up in the years to come. But also, it's... (laughs) I mean, it's a shocking reminder of how quickly this shit happens. I mean, we've barely fucking finished talking about his spell. And he's already off, off to the Peshwar Zalmi. I don't know if a Zalmi is a type of Pakistani marsupial, but that's how quick this stuff happens. I mean, Josh Brown barely got off the field in the Big Bash final, and he was off to Bangladesh to play for the fucking who gives a fuck. So, you know, that's how quickly this stuff happens, and they don't give a fuck if you do it in 2021 days or test. They just want a name. And I guess, you know, the reality is that Shamar Joseph is such a weapon. It doesn't really matter if he's ever played a T20 match before, so... I wish him the best and uh, and load your pockets up, you know. I think it's good to talk about, you know, whether it's uh, a Saudi Arabian boxing match or live golf or, you know, the Dubai T20s and stuff. I think it's good to talk about the integrity of the game and sports washing. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to hold these players accountable for the ecosystem they found themselves in, you know. Like when everyone was having a go at, uh, who's the golf player? And not that there's any inherent ethical issues with going to play in the Pakistan Super League, but, you know, you can't hold Shamar Joseph accountable for taking a bit of cash. And if down the road he chooses to prioritise 2020 cricket over Test cricket, you know, it's all well and good when the only offers coming through the door are the Peshwa Zalmi, but when the Mumbai Super Kings or whoever the fuck send you a fat, fat check in the mail and you're thinking, I could either do this or go play three tests in Pakistan for about a one-fifth of the money... You know, I don't think it's fair to hold those blokes accountable for their decisions. I've never played much golf in my life, but if the fucking, you know, His Excellency, whatever his name is, Turkish Allah Sheikh, if he picks up the phone and says, Bill, I've got your teeing off 
in the second round for four mil, give up your comedy career, mate, pff, you, this podcast would cease to exist quicker than uh, something that's really quick. So good on Shamar Joseph. Good to see him get a bit of cash as well. But yeah, weird summer. Weird summer. I guess we will wrap up here. You know, this whole summer, it was... Firstly, I just want to say that I enjoyed the hell out of it. I enjoyed the Big Bash more than I've ever joined, enjoyed it before. And I, it's not the most I've ever enjoyed Test Cricket. Like, I've, I love Test Cricket. But this summer, when you take how much fun I had watching it, within the context of how crap the expectations were in December or November, whenever it started, wow. What a time to be alive it was. Uh, some great Test matches. Almost lost to Pakistan in Melbourne. And I think we really found the balance between good competitive cricket while also having Australia still dominate. The whole summer was kind of like, it was kind of like Israel Adesanya versus Kananir or Vittori or really any of these guys where it's like, you know, Izzy's got the belt and he's just sort of doing enough to win. That's kind of the vibe I felt with this summer. You know, the Aussies were undisputed. It's a long reign. Everyone knows we're going to pump these guys. And we sort of just did enough to win, you know? Maybe India comes along. Maybe it's New Zealand in the next series. Maybe New Zealand is the Alex Pereira uh, we've been looking for. Or maybe this West Indies win will serve as the Alex Pereira knockout to fire up the champ. I'm not sure, okay? But really enjoyed the summer. Also, the Big Bash finishing January 25, perfect. I thought they nailed that. If I could just be one thing... One quick negative about the Big Bash is that, and this is me being a pitch narc as well, you know, this is a cornerstone of my personality. I analyze pitches. No, I haven't had sex in three and a half months, dude, okay? It's completely irrelevant to this conversation. The pitch for the Big Bash final, fair play to the Brisbane Heat, defeating my beloved Sixers, it's all good. It's all good. And I know the Brisbane Heat got 160, and they did extremely well to get 160 on that pitch, but... The pitch at the SCG for the Big Bash final, really, it should be hard and fast. Like, what are we doing? Why is, why is the SCG pitch slow for the final? Like, why is the, st- the grounds ends with the stadium half full and the six is being bowled out, chasing 160, like, for 111? Like, it just looked so tough for the sixes. And they have to take some of the blame for their batting performance. But it's like, God... The people, there's 60,000 people at the SCG. It's sold the fuck out. The Big Bash is having its best ever year. They want to see big bombs, you know? If that's like a 200 plays 200 thriller, it's the sort of thing that could launch the Big Bash to sort of the next the next level in the Australian sporting zeitgeist, you know? But the yeah, the final was a bit ho-hum. Obviously, you've got to blame the Sixers for not batting that well, but the pitch was dog shit for mine, so... I reckon next time, especially for a final, okay? I don't mind if I turn on the fucking Sydney Thunder at the showground and Tanvir Sanger's turning them square. Look, whatever, okay? Whatever. I'm not saying absolutely every pitch has to be a fucking Hume Highway, but I think really the final should be. The final is, at its core, the biggest advertisement for the Big Bash for the next season that we have. So I just think if... 200 plays 200, that's better for the game. I'd enjoy it more, that's for sure. Wrapping up, any closing thoughts here as I think out loud? I mean, Australia still won four of the five test matches. I know Pakistan and West Indies on paper absolutely suck. 
when you think about it, we won four out of five test matches where a lot of the batsmen did nothing. Each of them contributed at different times. Again, when we needed them to, like just every single innings, I think one of the batsmen, if not two, sort of stepped up. Marnus did really nothing all summer. And that's fine. Look, I love Marnus. No, no stress there, mate. He'll come good. Um, but yeah, in, in, a, in a home summer where the, the batsmen didn't really perform, only 200s and Nathan Lyon didn't really take many wickets either. Still a pretty good result when you think about it. If I told you that Nathan Lyon's not really going to take any wickets and Marnus Labuschagne's not going to make any runs whatsoever and we still win four out of five test matches, that's pretty good, you know? That's pretty good. And yeah, test cricket is back, as, as we so often say. It's hilarious to hear people talking about test cricket being back in a stadium that has seven people in it, you know? And obviously, it's the last day and it was going to rain and shit, but it's like, it's so funny, just a completely entry gabber, completely empty gabber. And everyone's like, Test cricket is back. It's back, baby. Like in World Series cricket, I think there was like 100,000 people in the SCG, and Rod Marsh is like, We're back. You know, the 2023 equivalent is like just an exciting day four in front of like friends and family at the Gabba. But honestly, mate, I was so hysterical. I messaged a few of my mates asking if they want to go to the one day or on Sunday. So, you know, Test Cricket is back for me. I enjoyed the shit out of this summer. That's the end of that. Um, probably the end of the cricket podcast for the summer, I suppose. Check out my Sydney and Melbourne shows. Link in my bio. Come out to a bloody show. You know, it's good for my mental health if I sell heaps of tickets before I get to Melbourne. So then I can just sort of worry about the show itself, which many people would argue is the most important part of a comedy show, the comedy. Unfortunately, in 2023, sort of, if you want to make it as a stand-up comedian, you sort of have to start up like a grassroots marketing and PR company. So regardless, hope to see you at a show. Bup, bup, bup. And that's the end of that, dude. Thanks for listening. Way too long, way too long. Yeah, and I can see the ground now. I'm